1: Good morning, beloved family. How are you today? I pray that you're well. Say, Mother Miriam, we are terrific. If you knew what we were going through, you wouldn't believe it. It's so terrible, but we are terrific because God is in control. We're a little worried. We're human. We're a little afraid. We're a little upset. This has happened. That has happened. But God is in control, so all is well. And we are following St. Paul's advice of giving thanks in all things. So we are grateful to God for this incredibly awful trial. Uh, We trust him. We trust his love for us. We trust nothing touches us that he doesn't allow. See, Mother Miriam, how terrific we're doing. We're doing so well. Yes, you are. (laughs) Yes, you are. And I am, too. God is in control. He never leaves his throne. Well, then how come this happens? That happens. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not God. Did God cause it? I don't know. Did he allow it? Of course. Nothing happens that he doesn't allow. Well, how come he allows what is evil? Because he's God. And he knows that those are the ways through suffering that we grow and mature and grow in holiness and learn to trust him. That's why. Why he allows it. It's always for good. And and the, the sentence in Romans eight twenty eight 28, uh, that he works all things together for good is not for everyone. The rest of that verse is that he works all things together for good for those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. And watch out if you're called according to your purpose, because whom he loves, he chastens. So there, you know, and if he has nothing to chasten you about... He's going to still, um, as he did to Paul from time to time, send a messenger of Satan. God does that to buffet you, to train you up in holiness, that you will always know how dependent upon him you are and that apart from him you can do nothing. When we love God, beloved, when we trust him, not based on circumstances, but based on who he is, not the God of our creation but the God who has revealed himself to us in his son. Then all things are well. And then we can go and preach the gospel to the world because God is God and he's ours and he lives in us and we're safe and we're on our way to heaven if we don't turn from him. Um, And we can tell the world that they can be happy in this life um, and live with him forever in the next. It's true. It's absolutely true. I can tell you it's true. We are going through the Catechism Explained, um, the Catechism of the Catholic Church, a practical manual for use of the preacher, the catechist, the teacher, and the family. It's an exhaustive explanation of the Catholic religion, Spirago Clark. It's the Catechism of Trent, and you don't have to be a scholar. It's all explained. I'm reading it. Uh, the explanation of it. And I add my two cents once in a while. It's truly wonderful. We are on the first entire section, which is on the faith. And now we're on section three of that um, first section on faith and point one of section three. The title, the theme is the preaching of the gospel, the preaching of the gospel. Um, And point one The truths revealed by God to men were, by God's command, proclaimed to all nations of the earth by the Catholic Church and especially by means of the living word, that is, by preaching. Um, I want to tell you, um, we watched uh, just a few days ago... um, Archbishop Alan Vigneron. He's the Archbishop of Detroit, the Diocese of Detroit, the Archdiocese of Detroit. And i I should look this up. I think about three years ago, he came out with a document Unleashing the Gospel. And I read it then, and I thought it was Very, very good. But I had no personal experience of Archbishop Vigneron myself. And a few days ago, we watched here in the Priory in Tulsa uh, his presentation of unleashing the gospel. He didn't go through it because it was all in print. It still is. Anyone can get it. Um, But his summary of it, the themes, and he had a question and answer session at the end. I want to tell you, it's the best. It's the best I've ever heard from anybody and from any bishop. I I can tell you that. I I had no idea, really, uh, what the bishop was like or how the unleashing the gospel would be put into effect. But his presentation, our hearts melted at the humility of that man, the heart of him, um, the, how do I say it, Um, The only one who can speak as he does, and I don't know his life, and he doesn't know me, I don't think, is someone who's been through a lot in life and understands reality now of the person, of our fallenness, of the responses of others. Um, We were really heartened at that it was very beautiful and um when we find a new home i'm going to sit and begin to take women in again i'm going to sit all the women down and listen to archbishop vigneron it's a it's i think it's close to an hour it's just wonderful and especially his answers to the questions that were asked from his i think what he calls um archdiocesan ministers—I'm not sure—they're lay people, um, and they are heads of their parishes, or RCRA, or they teach the faith, or heads of ministries in their church. It—it—it um, uh, it, it was the 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 room was packed, um, but um, it was truly, truly, truly wonderful, and I'm going to find that again. And uh, show it to our community, because we are all about living to spread the gospel in any way wherever we are. So um, I didn't plan to, to tell you that, but this section here in the catechism is titled The Preaching of the Gospel. And I tell you, my heart is still thrilled from hearing that maybe three days ago. It's just beautiful. To listen to, and if you want to listen to Archbishop Vigneron's presentation of that, just go. To, you can go to YouTube and just type in Archbishop Vigneron, and it's Unleashing the Gospel, and and you'll find it. It won't be difficult. It's just beautiful. <clears throat> and the first point is that the truths revealed by God to men were, by God's command, proclaimed to all nations of the earth by the Catholic Church and especially by means of the living word, that is, by preaching. Um, and it goes on to say <clears throat> that the command to proclaim to all nations of the earth the truth revealed by God was given to the apostles by our Lord at the time of his ascension. I'm reading from the book now. Our Lord, before ascending into heaven, spoke to his apostles as follows, quote, All power is given to me in heaven and in earth. Going, going, therefore, teach ye all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And behold, I am with you all days, even to the end of the world. That's Matthew chapter 28. And it says, for this reason, the apostles and their successors have never allowed themselves to be prohibited by any earthly authority from preaching the gospel. Nor has the church ever been turned aside from fulfilling her mission, her mission of preaching the gospel by the opposition of the world. Even now, in many countries, the state seeks to make the church dependent on her. It is in consequence of the command given by our Lord to the apostles that the popes send missionaries to the heathens and issue papal briefs and uh, rescripts to Christendom, that bishops send Um, that bishops send priests throughout their diocese and publish pastoral letters such as unleashing the gospel. That parish priests instruct their people by sermons and catechism. While the Catholic Church spreads the word of God by means of preaching, um, Mohammedans spread their beliefs with fire and sword and Protestants by means of the Bible. Now, you know that there's nothing wrong with the Bible. It's the Word of God, and it's the Catholic Church, said Martin Luther, who gave the world the Bible. But it's not the Bible alone. Much teaching that our Lord give the Church, apart from the written Word, infallible teaching through His Magisterium. Um, it is an error to suppose that the Holy Scripture is the only means intended by Almighty God to communicate to the nations of the earth the truths of revelation. Um, oh, I'm trying to remember uh, something here. Let me just look once. I know it's Second Thessalonians. Um, let me just, 2.15. Let me Let me see if I can get that for you. I had it memorized, and for some reason, I'm a blank right now. For some reason, beloved, just leave it at that. Don't guess the reason why I'm a blank. Okay, second Thessalonians. I know it speaks about um, the word of God that you've heard from me, Paul said, whether by word of mouth or, um, okay, two, word of mouth or the written word. Let me just get it exactly here. Hold on. I'm so happy for computers. Hold on a moment. I'm coming to you here. Okay, then. Here is what the Apostle Paul says to the Thessalonians. So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions, 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 which you were taught by us either by word of mouth or by letter. The traditions, not the traditions of men, Paul's not speaking of, that our Lord condemns, but the tradition of, of the Word of God um, by mouth or by letter. It It's right from the beginning. It is the Word of God, the same Holy Spirit that kept the written Word of God through 2,000 years has also kept the church's magisterium, the church that he established, It's magisterium, meaning it's teaching office faithful, and that is the Word of God handed down to us by mouth or by letter, and it's infallible, and it's to be followed. So when this says Protestant by means of the Bible, what it's saying is the Bible alone. The Bible alone, the Bible is wonderful. The Bible alone is not for two reasons. One, you leave out a lot of the teaching that was by mouth handed down through through tradition with a capital T, you also distort the meaning of the Bible because 2,000 years later, even Martin Luther 500 years later, is not going to know exactly what God meant by what he said. But the teaching of the apostles, St. Polycarp, who was taught by um, John the Evangelist, and so forth. If you go back to the church fathers, they knew what God meant by what he wrote. And they, they, the commentaries are there. And that's why John Henry Cardinal Newman said, to dig deep, to dig deep into history is to cease being Protestant. Because to be Protestant comes from the 16th century. It is to protest the church Christ established it is to, it is protestantism, it's protesting the Catholic Church that had stood for 1,500 years uh, until Martin Luther came along. It still stands after 2,000 years, but that's where Protestantism comes. And if you are Protestant, meaning uh, you may just call yourself an evangelical or, or a Presbyterian or other, but you are a non-Catholic Christian, so to speak, and um you are not, perhaps, you didn't come like me. I did not come into evangelical Protestantism uh, initially and then to the Catholic Church. I didn't come in protesting the Catholic Church. I didn't know about the Catholic Church, but I came in on the heels of the, the fruit of Protestantism for 500 years. So you're not maybe protesting the Catholic Church, but you're a Protestant because you were born of the seed that rejected the full measure of truth. And it would be your great happiness and your salvation to find out what that truth was, to find out your roots and to be fully home in the Catholic Church. This the authors go on to say, it is an error to suppose that the Holy Scripture is the only means intended by Almighty God to communicate to the nations of the earth the truths of revelation. It was the will of God to make use of preaching. Now, it's all done by means of the Holy Spirit. Nothing is done for God apart from grace and the means of the Holy Spirit, but it. But as far as the Holy Spirit speaking directly through the prophets, directly through Scripture, um, it's different. He now in these times speaks through men, speaks through us. It was the will of God to make use of preaching for the conversion of the world. Our Lord said to his apostles, go and teach all nations, not go and write to all nations. That's a good statement here, because the printing press didn't exist until the 16th century. That's why the printing, the the Reformation spread like wildfire, because it had a means now, a mediation, the printing press, the word that could be sent out prior to that. It wasn't. I I saw an article once that in the 1400s, only 5% of the world was literate. They couldn't even read. And when the Bible was finally written, nobody could read it, and Uh, There were no means. And it said that it took a year's salary to even get a copy of it. You see, it took time. We think what we have now was always the case. Absolutely not. Well, how did people learn before the Bible? They learned by preaching. They learned because the faith was engraved in stained glass windows in churches and art and design and by the word uh, through through preaching through missionaries. Out of the apostles, only out of the apostles, all the apostles, by the way, only two of them wrote. All the rest preached. Only two of them wrote and every one of the apostles and everyone else preached. The apostles themselves were books of the faithful, said St. Augustine. St. Paul tells us that faith cometh by hearing not from mere books. I'm wondering, he said only two. That's a question, isn't it? Um, The apostles themselves were books of the faithful. Out of the apostles, only two, T.W.O. wrote, all the rest preached. Um... I'm I'm I need to understand Paul wrote at least thirteen letters. Um Saint Luke wrote Acts. Um I don't know if he was speaking including the evangelists. I'm not sure exactly. But um outside of Paul and Peter, um uh, everything was written by Paul in the New Testament. In in the uh, apostles following following the Gospels. Now, I might not be clear. I haven't thought that through. St. Paul tells us that faith comes by hearing. That's from Romans 10, not from mere books. Now, books are fantastic. No one's putting books down. But we have to know that we are advanced here. We are advanced. Um, We have millions of books, but Again, 500 years ago, there were none. There was no printing press. Everything there were, but it had to be written by hand. Teaching by word of mouth corresponds to human needs. Everyone prefers to be taught rather than have to hunt out the truth from books by study. If writings were the only means by which men could arrive at a knowledge of revealed truth, the Christians of the first two centuries would have been at a terrible disadvantage. So too, so too would those who cannot read, as well as the great mass of mankind in the present day, who have neither the knowledge nor the capacity to penetrate the meaning of the written word. Yet it is the will of God that all men should come to a knowledge of the truth from First Timothy. Holy Scripture soon loses its value in the eyes of those who have not the assurance of the living word that it is truly of divine origin. St. Augustine says, quote, I should not believe the gospel unless the authority of the Church, that's the Catholic Church, move me to do so. Martin Luther himself quoted St. Augustine. He wouldn't believe the Gospels. He said, we wouldn't have the Scriptures, were it not for the Catholic Church? And he's right, because the councils of the 4th and 5th centuries that put the canon of scripture together, scripture together were all Catholic. There was no Protestantism. A truth which the Church puts before us as revealed by God is called a truth of faith or a dogma, D-O-G-M-A. Now, I'm from Brooklyn, so I say dogma. Sounds like D-A-W-G-A, dogma. <laughs> but it's a dogma. People are afraid of the word dogma. What did just tell me the faith. What's a dogma? Dogma is an article of faith. It's a truth revealed by God is a dogma. It's an infallible truth because it's revealed by God, and it's truth. God is truth. It cannot change. People try to change it. they're they're wasting their energy because it cannot change. Either a universal council, that is, one consisting of the bishops of the whole world, acting under the authority of the Pope, or the Pope himself has power to declare a truth to be revealed by God. It's never been any other way, beloved, and it cannot be any other way. Thus, the Council of Nicaea declared the divinity of our Lord to be an article of faith. And Pope Pius XI, um, the Immaculate Conception of the Holy Mother of God in 1854. Thereby, no new doctrines were taught, but thenceforth they became dogmas of the faith. We must believe them, beloved. When a child advances um, in its knowledge of religious truth, it does not really change its belief. So the church, the collected body of all the faithful, receives dogmas new to it. When on the appearance of some new form of error, it sets forth after careful examination certain truths of religion in explicit form and imposes their acceptance on all the faithful. Before the definition of it by the Church, it was only a pious opinion, or one proximate to faith. Such is, at the present time, the belief in the assumption of the body of Our Lady into heaven. Now, this is a perfect example. This is a perfect example this catechism was written prior to 1950 when, um, when Pope Pius XII—I hope I'm right there my, my memory—declared the dogma of the Assumption. We must now—it was a pious opinion, pious because holy, because the Church has always believed it right from the beginning. They've always believed the Assumption of Mary— but it was never taught as a dogma that must be believed but the pope declared it in 1950 as a dogma the assumption of the blessed virgin we virgin we celebrated on august 15th as a holy day of obligation it, we are obligated to believe that this is a perfect example the present time in the uh, uh, the present time when this was written um, the assumption of the body of our Lady into heaven was a pious belief, but it was affirmed as an infallible dogma in 1950. We must believe it now. Do we have an option to believe it? Not not if we want to be Catholic. You mean Catholics are bound to believe that? They don't have an option. They can't be a free thinker. That's exactly what I mean. You either believe it is the church, God established, Who promised to lead it into all truth to the end of time? Or it is not. Very, very few infallible dogmas that we are required to believe. And blessed be God that he gave them to us so we know what to believe. And our faith can be firm on solid ground. There's the music for our break, beloved. We'll take your calls, your texts, your emails when we come back. Feel free to call in, toll free or text. 1-877-511-5483 or email at mother at com. We'll be right back.
0: Tune in weekdays from 6 to 7 a.m. Eastern Time for Sermons for Everyday Living, a program that brings you real sermons from real priests on topics important to you and your faith. Visit thestationofthecross.com for details.
2: Are you having a hard time keeping up with all that's going on these days in the Vatican? Did you know that LifeSite puts out a monthly print news magazine in beautiful, full color? Our magazine, Faithful Insight, gives you all the most important coverage from Rome and lets you read it away from the computer, phone, or tablet. It summarizes dozens of new happenings down to the essentials, but provides full analysis on all the most important developments. Faithful Insight brings you the coverage of the Vatican that you know and expect from LifeSite in a different form. It has received high praise from cardinals, bishops, priests, and faithful who want to stay abreast of the most crucial battle in our time, the battle for the soul of the Church. Subscribe today at FaithfulInsight.com and may God bless you.
3: John Bosco said, walk with your feet on earth, but in your heart be in heaven. By displaying Catholic radio bumper magnets on your cars, you'll be an evangelist for our Lord and His Church. Help create awareness of Catholic radio in your community so that other drivers will find the peace of Christ through listening. To request your free bumper magnets, please visit thestationofthecross.com and click the Promote tab at the top of our homepage. That's thestationofthecross.com, then click Promote. Thank you for your support of Catholic radio while you travel.
0: Mother Miriam live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by Site News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at
1: thestationofthecross.com. Good, Good morning, beloved. <laughs> I'm in the middle of something here. And welcome back to Mother Miriam, Mother Miriam Live. I don't even know my own name. Um, I've been distracted. I'm so sorry. Um, we have a whole half hour to ourselves, and we will take your calls and your texts and your emails. I love this time of just talking with you, and um, I urge you, if you wish, to call in with anything on your heart, Um at the toll-free number of one 877 5483 and email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Um, we are going to take an email from somebody who writes in anonymously. Um, text. Uh, it's a text. Good morning, Mother Miriam. I have a couple of questions about confession. I believe in confession and try to go regularly. I just would like to understand a few things If we are able to have a private confession between us and God, why is it that at final judgment, everyone will know our sins? This is a very good question, and we answered it just a few days ago. Uh, It was put in another way. Why are we allowed to keep it private if in the end... Um, it won't be. Okay, so let me try to answer that before I take the second question you have. Um, The private question, of course, is so that we will go to confession, and it is between us and God through the ministerial um, ministry of the priest, indeed. Um, if, If... If we couldn't keep it private, we probably wouldn't go to confession. So it's not to shame us. It's to that we would be forgiven and and we would come humbly before God and be able to repent of our sin and name them and be given a penance, not in order to be forgiven, but because we are forgiven, to help make reparation, to repair the damage we have done by our sin in the temporal realm. But at the final judgment, you're right. That's what the scripture says. Everyone will know our sins. Everyone, the sins of everyone in heaven and hell will be before the whole world. Now, I don't like that thought either. I've looked it up. I don't know the full reasoning of that. I'd have to do more study on that if we can even know the full reasoning for it. But it is not to shame people at that point. Their destiny is not determined at that point. The destiny of each one is determined at the particular judgment as soon as one dies. But um, at the general judgment, I believe that... um, Uh, It is simply for the honor of God to show to everyone that he's just. Those that are in heaven will be so grateful. uh, They're not going to lack humility that their sins uh, are. They're not going to be in shame that their sins were exposed before the whole world, because by then they'll see themselves as God sees them. And they'll know how bad those things are and that God is perfect and just. Those who are in hell... um, Uh, It won't bother them because they're not interested in being in heaven, even that they're in hell now. They still don't want to be in heaven. They still hate God. And so nothing means anything to them in that way. It's not a matter of shame. It's a matter of bringing glory to God. Now in our fallen states here on Earth, it seems probably like the most awful thing in the world uh, to us um, because we have pride, we want people to think well of us, we want them to know what they've done. We sin before God, and he knows it always, but we're afraid to go to confession and tell the priest because of self-love. We, are, we, are, we, are, we love ourselves, and we don't want people to think uh, badly of us. But when we're in heaven or hell, um, that won't be the case anymore, and God will get his glory, and no one will question whether he's a just God. Let me now go to the second part of your email um, uh, or your text. Also, when we make a good confession and our sins are forgiven, we must trust that God has forgiven us and that he in some way cleanses us from our sins. That's exactly right. But uh, this person goes on to say, but then again, I think of our final judgment. He will remember them all again. Thank you very much, Mother, for all that you do know. Our sins are completely forgiven. We are cleansed from our sins. And it's not the scriptures say Psalm 103. He doesn't remember them anymore. But you see, God speaks to us in the word is anthropomorphic in human terms so that we can understand it. But uh, he's given us time. God is outside of time. So everything is present. his seeing them and not remembering them and remembering them, it's all one. It's all one to God. It's not that they come up before him again. And he says, ah, nuts, I forgot that one. No, 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 no. He doesn't hold its, their charge against us. It's, it says, as far as the east is from the west, he remembers them no more. He's speaking in our language. God is omniscient. There's nothing he forgets or doesn't know. But it—it it is that there's no charge against us. It, for As far as we're concerned... Uh, It never happened Um, because we're truly, 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 truly forgiven. You see, but to stand before God, um, it's not that he'll remember them again. It's that we will see again what we've done before God and know that he is just and more merciful than anything any human being could ever have imagined. We have a text from someone else who writes it anonymously and says, hello, Mother Miriam. I am currently pregnant, and after he is born, I will have three children, three years and under. Oh, my goodness. Oh, dear mom. I think you might need a little helping hand there. Three children, three and under, and one is a, a newborn. My doctors, who are very secular, told me when I got pregnant with this child that his risk For autism has increased because he was conceived before my second child was 18 months old. That's the first time I've heard that. I'm not saying it's not true. I I hadn't realized that before. We do not have the option to find a good Catholic doctor. Based on this statement and Pope Francis' statement about responsible parenthood, my husband and I are confused whether we should use NFP to avoid pregnancy in the future until our youngest is 18 months old. NFP is surrounded by murky waters, it seems, and I have yet to find a good traditional Catholic source that explains NFP's proper use as well as what consists of responsible parenthood. God bless you for this. There's the music for our break, dear one. We'll be back right after the break and and try to answer you as best we can. I already love your heart. Don't go away. We'll be right back, beloved, and you're welcome to call in, of course, during the break. Toll-free 877 511 5483 We'll be right back.
3: To iCatholic Radio, welcome to the free mobile app of the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network. It's available for download to your Android and Apple mobile devices. If you have any questions about your new app, please contact us at thestationofthecross.com or 1-877-888-6279. That's thestationofthecross.com or 1-877-888-6279. Through your new app, you can listen to podcasts of shows, conference talks, and prayers. View our programming grid, call us directly, and check out our mobile website. You can even learn how you can promote iCatholic Radio in your community, connect with us through social media, and financially support the programming you love. That's all available on your iCatholic Radio mobile app. Thank you for joining our iCatholic Radio family, proclaiming the fullness of truth with
2: clarity and charity.
1: Welcome back to Mother Miriam Live, Beloved. This is our last segment. We have a good 15 minutes. You're still welcome to call in if you wish. Not a problem. And again, it does never have to be what we're speaking about, but the matter of your heart. And the toll-free number, 1-877-511-5483. You can text at that number or email at mother at com. I'm going to reread this uh, anonymous text very quickly. Um says, Hello, Mother Miriam, I'm currently pregnant, and after he is born, I will have three children, uh, three years old and under. My doctors, who are very secular, told me when I got pregnant with this child that his risk for autism has increased because he was conceived before my second child was 18 months old. We do not have the option to find a good Catholic doctor. Based on this statement and Pope Francis' statement about responsible parenthood, my husband and I are confused whether we should use NFP to avoid pregnancy in the future until our youngest is 18 months old. NFP is surrounded by murky waters, it seems, and I have yet to find a good traditional Catholic source that explains NFP's proper use as well as what consists of of responsible parenthood, I would say uh, Casti Kenobi by Pope Pius XI is a, a very good document to read um, uh, concerning responsible parenthood and all of that. It's it's just a very beautiful. Um, uh, let me say that um, God has given us responsible parenthood. He has not uh, given us. Uh, NFP is, you're right, it's it's not Catholic birth control. It is for use in serious situations, not to avoid a pregnancy under 18 months old again. No. Um, before your child is 18 months old. Absolutely not. Um, just come together. Be open to life and entrust your life to God. End of story. Um, uh, otherwise, you will... Uh, Well, I I don't know your particular circumstance, but God's teaching is that a husband and wife are to be open to life. And the marital act is an act of total self-giving love, not to shut off one body from another. So um, I would not worry. Now, your, your child will be born soon, and whether he's autistic or not, will be in God's hands. Um, I've, I've met many families, well, quite a number, who's, who had an autistic child and they were unhappy and they were afraid because why couldn't God give them a quote-unquote normal child? That child turned out to be, in just about every case, the salvation of the family. That family had someone to love and, and uh, the autistic child um, to be raised in that was an enormous gift from God. Um, so trust God, whether he gives you an autistic or downs or any other, um, what we call handicap. trust God for that. Don't control your bodies and your, you can have somebody, you can have a child born five years after your previous child and he could be autistic. So no, uh, don't use NFP, uh, For 18 months after each child before you get pregnant, just leave yourself in the hands of God. That is Catholic teaching. If you became terribly financially stressed, if your life was threatened, if you were so depressed physically, something emotionally, psychologically really happened to your body that you can't bear another pregnancy— then you can use natural family planning, which I wish were called natural family procreation, not planning. But that's what NFP is for. Um, not as Catholic birth control, as you already know, but um, to, to regulate births um, for a serious reason, a serious reason. Stopping autism in a baby is not a serious reason because you're taking control of life and God is, to, is in control of life god is in control i would not worry what bit one bit about your child being autistic just leave that child in its creator's hands and god is not limited by 18 months so um that would be my answer to you just um don't worry about it um and continue to come together with your husband in love and um uh, just give your lives to God and not to worry, all right? If you feel after three children you need to give yourself some space, I think that it's legitimate to use NFP if you want to. It's. It, uh, I'm not counseling you to do it, but after three children under three years old, if you wish to give yourself a little time and space um, because you need it uh, for your health, uh, for raising all that, I, that's legitimate, but not to wait 18 months because of what that doctor has said, even if it's true. No, don't give yourself uh, to fear, but to freedom in love. We have um, a text. F- hold on a moment. Um An email from Megan in Ohio, and Megan says, Dear Mother Miriam, first, thank you so much for your work. I greatly appreciate you. Thanks, Megan, so much. I have a question, she says. Last year, I was in a class at my parish that was engaged in a series studying the theology of the body teaching. In one of these classes, the speaker was essentially ridiculing the concept that people think we, quote, unquote, go up upon death. Okay, so maybe, she says, not a direction, but I thought that the church teaches there is a separation of the body and the spirit slash soul. Um, She said, maybe those are separate too. I've never fully got that either. And the soul goes to an immediate and personal judgment with the body rejoining at the general judgment at the end of the world. Um, Megan, I'm not sure yet what your question is, But you are right, not this. You are 100% right. Your body doesn't rejoin at the general judgment. It rejoins actually at the uh, resurrection, immediately preceding the general judgment. You are absolutely right. And Megan writes, however, this is not what the speaker was teaching at all, but... My priest was unable or unwilling to explain what the speaker was meaning, and it became quite uncomfortable as other lay people tried to explain the teaching to me but were hopelessly unclear. All you needed to do, dear Megan, was open a catechism. If you don't have one, buy that. Uh, that's a, a, a source that everyone should have. Um, <clears throat> Megan says, I quit the class feeling terribly stupid. Well, you're not stupid, Megan. You got it right. I quit the class feeling terribly stupid and thinking maybe I'm not even a real Catholic. Because if I could be confused about something this important, well, what else have I believed in error? So now I'm going to interrupt your email to speak to that, too. We need to know our faith and not doubt it. James says... We need not be tossed, we should not be, it's a danger, tossed and fro by every wind of doctrine. You need to know your faith, and you do make it, but you need to be confident in what you believe so that you're not caught off guard or tossed to and fro. Um, and again, all you need to do is look it up in the catechism, go to catholic.com on the web, uh, go to EWTN, uh, go, just uh, type in Catholic teaching. Um, And so uh, Megan continues, so in the simplest of terms, as I'm quite simple, please explain Catholic teaching on what happens at the moment of death because it seems I got something wrong. But you didn't, Megan. And much worse, I've been a catechist for over 20 years, so I have passed on my misunderstanding of the four things. Gasp, blessings to you. Megan, you know the only thing wrong with your email? The only thing wrong is that you have allowed... False and confused teaching to mess up what your faith is. Don't ever let that happen. If you hear something that's apart or confusing to what you know, go look it up so you can confirm what you know and confirm that others are confused, not you. Don't base your faith and your life and your ministry and your teaching on other people base them solidly on church's teaching. We have the scriptures. We have the catechism. We have strong apostolates to help us with that. There's no reason to to be in confusion whatsoever. And so if all the teacher says is that at death we don't go up, that's okay. Like you said, it's not a matter of location. There may have been nothing wrong with what he said, Though he certainly caused confusion. What happens immediately upon death is that, you're right, the body and soul are separated. The body goes into the immediate presence of God and the soul uh, goes into the earth. All right? No, the other way. Oh, what's my problem? The soul goes to God and the body uh, goes into the earth. That's it. Immediately upon death, the body and soul are separated, the body decays in the earth to await the final resurrection and the soul goes to God. Um, And it it faces an immediate judgment upon death, immediate. It's the particular judgment, not the general judgment. And God will judge us according to what we have done and failed to do. First Corinthians chapter three um, tells us that all our works will be put before us. And if what we've done Is wood, hay, and stubble mean it's all going to be put in the fire? Everything. Here's all. Here, God. Here's all our works. We don't have to remember them. God knows them. And he'll take the whole thing, kit and caboodle, and put it in the fire. That's it. The big bonfire. And he'll put it in the fire. And what is not done for the glory of God, which he calls wood, hay, and stubble, that burns very quickly and is gone. But what is done for eternal glory of God is like gold and silver and precious stones. It comes out of the fire untouched. And so that's what happens at our death. We are judged, the particular judgment for what we've done and what we failed to do. Um, And we, at that point, are determined for heaven or hell. If we're hell, that's where we go. If it's heaven, we get there either directly or through purgatory. Um, that's what happens immediately upon death. And that's why there is a purgatory, because there's no judgment in hell after death. There's no fire in hell. Nothing's going to burn up. We're going to suffer loss, uh, Paul writes to the Corinthians, but we'll be saved. And so that's not a description of heaven. You don't suffer loss. That's a description of what happens to the individual between physical death and our eternal destination, and that's what purgatory is, only for those on their way to heaven. Okay, we have a text from someone who, uh, it looks like they spell their name, M-E-M, says, Hi, Mother Miriam, can you briefly explain the difference between Catholic and Lutheran? I have a coworker that says it's very similar. My comeback is how so? If you don't have a priest, thank you, M. Well, you're right. Your comeback is right. It's not very similar. Lutherans, Lutherans who think it's very similar are ignorant of what the Catholic Church teaches. Um, and if a Catholic thinks that it's similar, he surely is ignorant of his own faith and what Lutheran, uh, what Lutheranism is. There's, they're not similar. The, the similarity is that Lutheranism broke off from the Catholic Church. Martin Luther was a Catholic Augustinian monk, and he broke off. And here's the difference. Luther threw out the papacy. We don't need a Pope. He threw out every he threw out all church teaching as infallible or as a sure guide for us. We have the Scripture. He taught that the Scripture alone, which the Scripture alone doesn't teach, he taught that Scripture alone was Infallible and enough for us because we have the indwelling Holy Spirit. The problem is that over five hundred years later, um, uh, that we now have forty thousand plus denominations, all begun by those who have the indwelling Holy Spirit and doing their own thing, supposedly guided by the Holy Spirit. You're right. There is no priesthood. There are no. Um, their sacraments are not sacraments. Uh, they are more ordinances. Baptism is valid. <clears throat> Baptism is valid in, in the Trinitarian formula of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. They do not have the Eucharist. They do not have the body and blood of Christ. It's the biggest difference in the world. Martin Luther taught. He he did not teach transubstantiation, meaning that the bread becomes God. He taught con, C-O-N, substantiation. Con means with. He taught that Christ somehow is given to us together with the bread, but the bread doesn't become God. That's con substantiation. It's not true. And again, they do not have a valid priesthood. They cannot consecrate anything through whatever words they say. And the full church is the one Martin Luther left, and everyone who's Lutheran you need to come back home, dear ones, home to the church that Luther knew and left. Um, God bless you all, and we'll speak with you tomorrow.